Hey, Small Beans listener, did you know we're in the process of trying to make a movie? It's true. It's called Papa Bear and tells the story of the time my dad came out as a gay furry when I was 17. We're currently looking for investors, creative partners, and talent to attach to the project. If you'd like to know more or to see our script, lookbook, and business plan, please hit us up at allthesmallbeans at gmail.com. Small Beans patrons can also listen in on the whole process by checking out our movie production diary series over at the Patreon. Thanks for your time, and now, on with the pod. Welcome back from the break, everyone. This, of course, is TRL, 1998's (laughs) TRL. Uh, I'm Carson Daly, your host. At number one with a bullet, I'm just a Terrence Malick, baby. Okay, I'm done with that bit. That's the end of the bit. I was hoping you were going to sing Crazy Town. Do you guys remember Crazy Town? Butterfly? Is that I'm your butterfly sugar baby? <laughs> I'm your butterfly sugar baby. baby. Come, my lady. Up, my lady. Come, come, my lady. That was a bit based on the initials of the movie we're going to discuss. I could do an hour on that. Like you just you just launched a series. Like like that was not an. Oh, well, TRL bit. was a thing. Yeah, we could yeah. do a, yeah. we could do a pod app on what TRL meant to sure. us. Sure, oh, dude, sign us up. Start recording. Sure, <laughs> but that's not that I'll is emphatically not what this is. This is Frame Rate, the show where we rate frames, and the TRL mm. I should have actually referred to is Thin Red Line. I'm Michael Swaim. That's Abe Epperson. Woo. Our special guest is Mr. Adam Ganser, who you've just thank heard you. from. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, I, dude. Hey, thank you. How yeah. far away are you from me, Abe? How far and, away between the two of us when we started this and when it began and ended? I'll thank How you far? to close that distance and give me a smooch. What is this war done? Um, and thank, Look at all this and thanks war. To, oh, I see what you're doing. You're doing the movie. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks to Andrew Marinus. While we're thanking people. Yes. Um, he picked the flick. Someone before he rolled was like, or Marinus. I really don't think it's. <laughs> I, it's I, I, I I'm laughing it's at your name. Marinus. This man is not a Marinus. sea god. This man yeah. is like right out of a Herman Melville story. Yeah, right? Andrew Namor Marinus. It's great. We were commenting. It's yeah. a great mind last controller name. of I, fish. Yeah, I said it reminded me of a Roman legion. So somewhere between those two things, Ooh, yeah. Maximus um, Marinus. I didn't offer a thing, but I agreed with theirs. Those mm-hmm. their two things. Marinus, Mark <laughs> Marin, something there. But you too can be like Andrew, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Uh, because you can go over to the patreon.com slash small beans. And, uh, if you go to the tier called pick the flick, uh, you can throw some extra money and we will talk about a movie that you decide, uh, you know, with a few caveats, like we're not going to watch your porn that you made when you're, you know, like 25. I would watch uh, that. Not, I not would for not that comment. I would watch, like, yeah. we'll take the links. I'm not saying price that, Michael. Price tag goes up is the point. Price tag goes up for that. For us too, <laughs> they have to pay us to watch their homemade <laughs> porn. That's how that works. Um, yeah. And Andrew, of course, uh, our precious prince, also brought us our episode about It's Such a Lovely Day, Beautiful Day. The, uh, it's d- such a beautiful day. The Don day. Hertzfeld one, which I thought yeah. was highly rewarding. So it's thank a good you, taste. Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Well, good so far. Let's see if that streak holds as we dive into <laughs> 98's Thin Red Line by Terrence Malick, famously the other 1998 World War II movie. Like, yeah. gosh, let's just start there. Certainly, I still have crisp memories of in my childhood, and I don't know why it was a choice or we couldn't see both. But my dad, who we only saw on the weekends, and we went every weekend religiously to a movie Friday night and a movie Saturday night at the theaters. And I think that's why partially I'm in the line I'm in. But I remember us go, him picking Saving Private Ryan and us seeing that and him consciously deciding, eh, Thin Red Line, I don't need to see two World War II movies this year. Like, I'll just, mm. I'll go Saving Private Ryan. So I had never seen this till now, and I only oh. remembered it as the other 1998 World War II movie 
that everyone compared to Saving Private Ryan at the time. Ah. What about you guys? Did you see it at the time? I saw it at the time. I saw it in the theater. I remember it very vividly because I'd never seen a Terrence Malick work before. Right. And uh, I really like Terrence Malick's work. Uh, And I would have been in high school. Yeah, I still like his work. Uh, I like this movie less now than I did in 1998. Uh, But that's okay. Because, you know, I think for, for the time it was way different than anything else I was watching or had watched. Way and I don't, yeah. I don't want to blow up Andrew's spot, but I am. Andrew said in the email, uh, very flippantly, I thought, Thin Red Line, of course, better than Saving Private, like low-key better than Saving Private Ryan, but people don't appreciate that, so you could cover that. And I want to interrogate that fact. Is that true, right? Yeah. and also, I have thoughts on this. Yeah, go ahead, Abe. Launch the ship. They are two movies going for very different things, right? This movie is like a meditative film. It's three hours long. Not a lot of shit happens per minute. And it's focus in terms of its philosophical questioning or like the scenes. What, what are they mining? It's less, let's look at all this war and see how horrible it is. And it's more of why is this war occurring and what is it in us and what does it do to us? So there's it's two different types of introspection. One is, I would say, like an external uh, kind of like look at things, which is more the Saving Private Ryan stuff where it's like, what are like? Yes. What does war do to us? But it's like, I don't know. It feels like it's more about the events. Right. And then something like Thin Red Line, it's almost almost like the events do uh, cause new thoughts, but all these thoughts are already there. It's mostly motivated by the narration that occurs uh, almost throughout. It hops between different narrators, and it's usually them asking, Why are we in this situation? What causes evil? What causes what is like the nature of this power? Is there an avenging power in nature? And to me, that's more of an introspective question. That's more of like, what have I done to cause all this horror as opposed to what have all the horrors done to us? So like to me, that's really they are comparative films, but like they're really different experiences. And I think that you can like one and hate the other, but you can also like both. I don't know. That's my thought on that. I think that's great. Uh, just to give people listening a little context, it, I don't even think we should synopsize because there's so much to talk about. I just want to dive in. So more than usual, I don't need to go through the plot beat by beat. It's also very long and that would take up so much of the podcast. Um, but basically a stacked cast of great actors and we'll, we can get into that at some point, like list some names. Um, take Guadalcanal, which is a thing that happened. You know, Take Guadalcanal airbase from the Japanese and we watch that. But Abe's right. It's not as climactic and it's not as focused on the sequence of events or the plot as Malik tends to be. If you're unaware, he also did like Boyhood and Tree of Life. Um, so he didn't do boy. He did not do boy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Who was he that? He did was that uh, Days of Heaven. He did Badlands. He did yeah, uh, Badlands is good. I totally like, had the mix up in my he head. He has a movie. Boyhood? Terrence Malick basically makes a single movie, and he's made it a bunch of times. Um, except for Badlands, which is a little bit more. Of yeah, a it's Linklater. Okay, sorry. He's a very unique filmmaker in that he's one of the only people who, like, basically gets carte blanche to kind of shoot whatever he wants. And they and attracts a sort of, list, yeah. Actors yeah. mostly, yeah. Th- those stories come from this movie, right? Because he, like, just a little context, he made Days of Heaven right. in 1978. Did not like not nothing. He made some TV movies, but stayed away from cinema for 20 years, and that was his second film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So his third film is in '98. And it's thin, thin red line, and everyone wanted to be a part of it. People were like, you know, famously, Sean Penn is like, oh, uh, just tell me where to show up and give me a dollar, and I'll be in your movie. And like, people were just like, please let me be in your movie. Like, everyone right. wanted to be a part also of it. Also, very interesting. It had a reputation already because it was based on a critically acclaimed, I think this is interesting, graphic novel. Not novel. Huh. Or like, That's yeah. unbelievable, too. And if you look up the artwork, it's it's pretty dope. <laughs> like, it looks like a good graphic novel. And it makes sense because oh, graphic sick. novels have those little text boxes that represent any character's thoughts at any time. And that's mm. so malicky and one key component of this movie, or the way it hit me and the way I want to describe it is like, are you guys aware of koans? K-O-A-N-S? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The idea of like a little simple thought that is a philosophical mm-hmm. truism that you meditate on. 
That's we're what just it, dirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does these. Uh, everyone in this has an internal monologue. If we're if the camera's interested in you right now, then we get to hear your thoughts as well as look at you. And mm-hmm. basically, the movie is an assembled sequence of little thoughts. You're like, this guy's in this situation and he thinks this about it. Mm, think about that. Chew on that. All right, next next up, this guy in this situation. And sometimes they feel, even though it is a sequence of events that happens, they even feel disconnected to me. Like, they do have that feeling of a bunch of little short stories. Like, uh, I had a, I have a godfather who's an artist, and one thing he did is he put out a book of fictional portraits of people who never existed with just their epitaph and their last words. And they made this really interesting, you know, you could imagine whole stories in the... So I I guess I actually, I've always worried about Malik being too snooty or had this feeling that it's pretentious. But when I viewed this lens, the movie through the lens of, uh, no, these are little like presentations, almost more in an Eastern tradition than a Western tradition of a simple combination of image, feeling in the form of music and thought. And you take that spoonful and you just eat that and you think about it. Uh, I really can enjoy it that way. I like it a lot through that lens. Yeah. I I think that if you like Terrence Malick's thing, Mm -hmm. this is an incredible movie. Like, I I think this movie is is remarkable and gorgeous. And uh, so many war movies are trying to do what he effortlessly does in this film, which is get to the underlying meaning of it. Like he like he's so good at just sort of deftly showing us battle, then showing us what does it mean, and manages to avoid the schlocky feeling that it often takes to get there. You know, in fact, mm. a lot of people that are schlocky are trying to do his thing, which is like get to the soul of the of the conflict while in the middle right. of these like battles. Like you'll see a lot of film students who are trying to make a Malik film, even if they mm. haven't seen a Malik film, because he's so cinematic as a combiner of images and ideas and not necessarily cinematic as a narrative storyteller, but more as like a meditator sort of like tone poem filmmaker. Although he does tell narratives. Exactly. Yeah. And like, he's the master of that. If there is a master of that, Mm -hmm. it's him. Um, And so like, if anybody hasn't watched this movie and you're going to watch it, be like, here we go. World war two. The thing you need to know is like, you're not going to be satisfied with like, the trappings of a war film because you're never really mm-hmm. tracking the conflict. Uh, you don't, you know, when the conflict's over, but it doesn't matter. Like you don't feel invested in the conflict. You feel invested in the safety of the people in the conflict. Only Nick Nolte cares if they yeah. win or not. Correct. Well, I mean, everybody <laughs> cares force. because of yeah. survival. Everyone wants to live. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Right. Another thing that's really unique about this film in war films is that everybody is very fucking scared. Like, everybody oh, yeah. is very fucking scared. Even more than Saving Private Ryan, where there's yeah. a little of that. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan, you, it feels like people. Like no, human we pan beings. to one guy in the patrol boat vomiting, and you're like, ah, yes, the fear of war. Right. This is like, and speaking of uh, accomplishing the actual war stuff when it does happen, which, yes, there's not, like, a ton of battles, but the battles that happen are, I think, legitimately harrowing and thoughtfully put together in a way that make powerful singular statements like he's want to do. Like the one that immediately springs to mind is the scene where they got to make their first charge. They know like some of us will die and not just that, but like the first guys to charge are almost certainly going to die. Right. So I did all this training. I lived my whole life from birth to now and I'm a real human being to literally have someone make the decision for me now, you die in the service of this thing. Like, you almost definitely die right now. Please go do that now. And Mm -hmm. everyone sits there frozen, like, are we really going to fucking do that? And the, the guy who finally gets them to go do it is like, everybody charge, and he immediately gets shot. Immediately. Like the guy yeah. who got them to charge also. And, you know, Jared Leto. Yeah, Jared Leto. Right? Yeah, I my think God, so. Yeah. And it all, I mean, that's such a powerful distillation of, yeah, that's like Wilfred Owen, <clears throat> World War One poetry. You shit. think it's one way, it's, it's another way. It's a solid image of what war is, of the hell of war. Very palpable fear. I, 
I so that yeah, I think there's a lot of great statements, and I think also that there's like Generation Kill. There's been a lot of like uh, same in Private Ryan. There's been a lot of like um more recent kind of. I think the Iraq War uh, definitely uh resurged a lot of those things so it's not that these thoughts aren't tired but i think that there's another thing that really uh malik focuses on and i want to go back to a statement that adam said which is that everyone is scared and i think he's right for the most part but i think malik's secret like like his secret sniper bullet like the thing that he is really focused on is the fact that he made wit the um Jim Caviezel character, yep. he made him like kind of the main character. Yeah, and he kind of is a Jesus figure, which is of course. Fitting, yeah, he kind of like looks bit. at everything like energy, and yeah, you can tell that Mel Gibson was like, yeah, there's my Jesus. I mean, the classic painting of blonde, kind Jesus with the lamb who's looking at you with those blue eyes, mm-hmm. like it's gonna be all right, man. That's what Jim Caviezel is in this movie. He's also a very devout Catholic. And so, mm-hmm. like, yeah. the, I think the inner connection to the material, like, he sort of gravitates toward it. Like, I would say he's, he's a Jesus figure in that he is not, in that we think of Jesus as not being emotionally affected by, ter- like, turmoil, and this guy really isn't. He's very curious. He's a very curious person yep. in a way that he's curious. I find interesting. He- he keeps going AWOL and hanging out with the Guadalcanal natives. He has Ugh. an affinity for being with children because they're open hearted and, you know, connected to the universe There's in no some way. Mistrust, I right. think, is the key. Yeah, him. they haven't been spoiled yet with the world of men he, or whatever. He also wants to be there as a kind of Sherpa for people at the moment of their death. Like, yeah. that's a thing he voluntarily takes on. Over and I and think over. it's because he's curious about what it means. Like he has that whole diatribe at the beginning where he right. talks about how he thought there was something beyond, but then maybe he's not sure about it. So he sort of like doesn't know what it means, and it feels like he's trying to figure out what it means, and that his mm-hmm. journey is actually about sort of being willing to come to decide what it means in his own death, like but in a circuitous way. Um, mm-hmm. And so he he has all these great moments where like somebody dies, and he's just sort of watching it, and you really feel like. Something substantial happened here. Uh, it's great. It's really And good. even when he dies, you get the impression that he, because he pauses for so long, and they clearly are giving him the opportunity yeah, to can surrender. surrender. Yeah. It feels like him going, you know what? It's time for me to see what the great mystery is. I'm mm-hmm. going to die now. Mm-hmm. Like, he consciously see, does that. that. I actually interpret it as a, in a different way. I think he says he's done fighting. Him raising up the gun knowing he's going to die because it's not like he's actually going to fire right. a bullet is him saying, I'm ending it. Uh, I think it's a self-sacrifice. Because of weariness, you think? That's how you got it? Now, I can be totally misinterpreting this, but if you look at his like several other monologues that he has that are done via narration, like... I think something that he does get right in this movie or this movie wants him to get right is that distrust is kind of the ad hoc state of being when people try to gain power. So he says that about the army. It's true about the army. You see that through Nick Nolte's character. Uh, and no one, tr- no one can trust anyone. Everyone's terrified. Everyone has regret. Uh, but when he compares, like he he calls it the other world, or like at least Sean Bean says, like I, you see, like another world. I forget that how that first dialogue goes. Mm-hmm. But I think he's taught when he says other world. What I read that is is that that's whatever he's trying to touch with living with like the Melanesian tribes in the South Pacific, and even in that place. The lady says she's terrified of him because he looks like Arnold. He suddenly realizes so he can't they run away. Yeah, they are repeatedly like, "Well, we're actually scared of you." And then towards the end, he tries he to back. shake their hands or whatever, and they're right. like, "Motherfucker, you just massacred a bunch of us! Like, right. we're terrified of you." Yeah, and he's like, "But I'm nice," you know. You can see it in his eyes that he is upset by that. And he still has a few more scenes with Sean pen in terms of like that's my favorite where he talks about seeing the spark which i'm sure we'll unpack a little bit later but like the whole from that moment on he's like really changed and it's like it really feels like he's going through emotions and trying to preach the thing but he just he just doesn't see he's not trying to do anything he's not like 
these are my brothers that we saw in the earlier half of the movie where he's like, I will protect C Company no matter what. It's really... He's just kind of going through the so motions that, until the end. I guess the reason the other interpretation appealed to me is because it speaks to everyone's surviving war differently and has a different approach to the topic. Um, like they say in that scene, Sean Penn's like, I make myself a rock to survive. You go left when they say go right. If you look at it through everyone's different tactic of survival, I don't know. I just think there's something to Caviezel embracing the threshold between this world and the next through death because if it's the other thing doesn't it kind of boil down to then the message is war is very bad it crushes even the gentlest of us and the best of us <sighs> and i'm just the like i don't know children. that uh, there's, a, there's I, a lot I, i'm not sure that you that we feel that sad about his death like, a, like in a way, not right. so sad. That's because it's poems and not story. You know, we don't attach to the characters as directly because we're. I agree at with this that. poetic distance. It is very, yeah. It's very like you don't even always get names for people, so it's definitely hard to like. I would say like if anybody has like an arc in this movie, right? In a traditional narrative sense, there's basically two characters or three that have them, and Cavazil's character is one of them. Wit. And then also the guy who's got his fiance at home has an arc. And Nick what? Nolte's... I'm sorry, so dark. What dark timing? To the that letter is brutal. Like to get that in also, when you're on the oh, battlefield. Very frustrating. Uh, yeah. I've been mad fucking while you're gone. A very, yeah, <laughs> a very frustrating letter for like the movie going audience because like we had so many montages of this woman. Swinging and happy and dreaming and bathing and like my first now. knock against the movie. You do not need that much footage of them almost fucking. We get it. Their clothed we bodies together. Get yeah. it. <laughs> like we got it t ten t like ten yeah. times ago, bro. It's and you're banging. So you're mad. So you, so then you get mad a little bit about this beat because it's like such a mean spirited thing to do, and it's the end of his story. But and it does like, mimic what he's going through. He invested so much thought and energy in this right. thing, and it turns out it was nothing. Right. And so, like, you know, I think all of them have a kind of, like, is this nothing, is it not? Like, that's that's sort of, like, what the movie leaves you with. It's very Buddhist in that way, I feel like. They say like, explicitly, if I die in this war, it will mean nothing. But other people don't say that. You know, that's Sean Penn's opinion, but I people have that, different opinions. I also think that Private Wit's death does mean something. Like, I think that's actually what he's what he's journeying toward is sort of like he's going through like a sort of Siddhartha esque crucible of seeing the right. suffering of the world and finally embracing his part of it. And it means something. And how do I know it means something? Because he gets a funeral. Nobody else does. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Not meant to be a like a poignant death. It's not meant to have purpose in the sense that like it will change anything. That's why it's so useless. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I agree with that. No, but it but it hangs in the air like a quiet, important moment. I do think it, it changed does that. Sean Penn. He got changed by it. I don't know if it does though. Where's the proof of that? Well, because he, he cries about it because it makes him think. But he he cries because he still feels bad about like that's why he went in uh, and he went all Lieutenant Spears on the situation earlier. But he literally at his grave says, "Where's your spark?" Then now? cries because he because he, he realizes that. I, I I I again, this is like I have the beholder a little bit, but like yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. I think that it's reductive to say that that Sean Penn's character is unaffected by this because Sean Penn's character is definitely out of all of them, the most sort of like hardened and like going to get through it. And like, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not saying anything you're saying. Uh, I'm just <laughs> saying, saying that I don't think it changes him. I think he is the way he is and he's, he's dealing with it and he causes him to cry. But like going back to like Caviezel's death, I really feel that that is like he it's not important that it's poignant. It's only important to him, I guess. That's what I meant by like the self-sacrifices is like it's about me. Mm -hmm. It's about my part in my journey. But none of these things and which also agrees with Sean uh, Penn, you know, like 
this is all about property. Like he is, that's a despair moment earlier in the film as he runs back after doing the super heroic thing and everyone's like, we're going to give you the, the silver star. And he's like, don't you fucking dare. This is all about property. It's bullshit. Right, yeah, that's right. And that is like the heart of the thing, right? It's like what causes power, what causes evil. It's people who think that they can take it. And yet very interesting in the context of World War II where we know specifically and I'm not even saying this is historically actually accurate. There's a lot of argument about this. But the narrative is um, Nick Nolte's not wrong in that we do need to take Guadalcanal and America does need to contribute to stopping people from getting gassed in death camps. Like there right. actually is the context of there's an argument to be made that it's the one of the only quote just wars. I roll my eyes as I even say that. Right. But there was a compelling reason for us to do this and knowing people would die. There's still a compelling reason to do this. I just think that adds another layer of complexity. It is interesting because it's mostly focused on how war is hell, or at least that's definitely the vibe of the room. I did want, speaking of like a basic, you mentioned maybe being too reductive, but I never do this, but I want to bring up the, like, I watch this on Amazon Prime, mm. not to shout that company out per se, but the synopsis on Amazon <laughs> is uh, uh, men change, suffer, and discover useful truths about themselves amidst the horrors of war. And What's useful? That's what I, I'm like, does this movie... And in some ways, I, I see why they wrote it that way. And I guess what I'm asking is, do you think in the end, the movie definitely doesn't shy away from the fact that war sucks? But is it also trying to say in some way that war is useful to the growth of your soul? Or like, do you feel the men were bettered by this experience or saw truth through this experience? It's saying that because of the suffering they're going through, uh, that there is some some deeper truths that may or may not be reached that are unearthed. Yeah. Right. Like, and I, I mean, I think the movie does a couple things that are really interesting uh, to that point. It, it definitely equates the Japanese and American soldiers. Once you finally get some time with them, like mm -hmm. it definitely equates them. And there are very, mm -hmm. a, a series of interesting moments where once they have the POWs, the American soldiers see themselves in the Japanese soldiers, a thing that, you really don't see in war movies anymore. Or they've completely dehumanized them, like the one yes. guy who executes them and beats them Correct. to death and shit. Well, that's yeah. the first reaction. And then there's mm -hmm. the guy who's, like, stealing their teeth and stuff who, like, repents of it later, right? Like, yeah. I love that. I did, too. Yeah. Like, I, I, so I think that I think that Terrence Malick is kind of having his cake and eating it, too, because I agree with Abe that yep. there's a little bit of, like, like, there's definitely some nihilism at work yeah. and despair at work. But also, it's pretty clear to me that Terrence Malick doesn't fully believe it. Like I think, yeah. the, I yeah. think the, he has a bit of private wit in him. That's like, no, I, I, there, there's something, there's something still James beyond Bond. it, you know. Uh, yeah. And all these people seem to briefly grasp it and then lose it. That happens all the time in this movie. I feel that in the right. gladiator-like shots of the shadow passing over the windy Absolutely. field and stuff like that. Also, just to triple underline that moment so that we can move on from it. I uh, we talked about on the Bone Tomahawk episode. Uh, something that's really stuck with me is that terror and horror and stuff works better if there's a beat of empathy and love and actual understanding what what the harm that was done versus just we keep going with the killing and can you believe how fucked up this is? I don't think that arc works without the repentance beat. So there's no. this dude who keeps stealing the dead, the teeth of the dead Japanese soldiers by force, not gold teeth. I'm talking just teeth, just, just teeth. as trophies, right? Yeah. And then with no other lines just later on later on apropos of not and he's saying shit like i'm happy about this uh, yeah i'm glad that you're suffering and later on we just see a shot of him in the rain screaming tearing at his chest and he looks at the bag of teeth and he seems to think about it from a fresh perspective like you know like with fresh eyes I'm a human being. I've ripped teeth out of people. That's like serial killer shit. Yeah. Like you see him break down, yeah. realizing what the fuck is going on. It's great. Right. Well, and he like throws the teeth and sobs, and sobs. like yeah, a deep to God. sob. And again, there yeah, he's just like, what have I? There's done? a kind of rhythm to this movie. Good word. Uh, that where like this whole thing feels like a single parable almost, where like uh like they there's a sort of humanity and trepidation and like connection and mild conflict before they actually get into the war 
And then in the war sequences, which go on for a pretty long time, there's terror, there's horror, there's doing the worst thing you can imagine, there's comically tragic mistakes, there's people being weak, Harrelson, there's people being, baby. yeah, there's people being tyrants, and then there's the R and R sequence, a thing that you really don't need narratively, but they need it spiritually because it's the moment where everybody thinks about what happened. They can be human again. Yeah, they can be human again, and like you start to get other people's voiceovers that you haven't heard at all, like John C. Riley's and some others. Right. And you realize, like, they're for this brief moment, they're allowed to not be at war anymore, and they see who they are. And for some people, you know, that means immense tragedy. For some people, it's like this is bringing you back from the precipice of disaster. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So for the record, in this movie. Woody Harrelson accidentally pulls a pin on his grenade on his belt and blows off his butt and, blows off his and butt. bleeds out and dies screaming, what a fucking idiot. Oh, yeah, God, man. I blew off my butt. My fucking butt. I blew, blew off, off my butt. butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah. just has to be mentioned. It's fucking incredible, really. Like, like, it's really good. It's Yeah, it's good because I can't think of a single other movie where this would happen. Like I just but can't in real imagine. life, you immediately grasp that could totally. Yes. I'm sure that has happened. That's what's yeah. so great about it. In this weird esoteric tone poem, they have a thing that can only really happen in real life. It doesn't fit in movies, mm. and it's great. Here's the thing: its uniqueness to me is obviously the 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 staging and every scene is kind of unique. But like, how far is that scene different from in Saving Private Ryan, when? the Nazi soldiers slowly thrusts the blade uh, into the American soldier as he's going, no, 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 no. Like seeing that kind of like horrific, slow kind of death. Hmm. That's not, that's not that like someone who can actually reflect on in real time, them dying is a thing that we've seen in war since paths of glory. I don't think that's necessarily the unique part about it. But no, it's the mundanity. It's the mundanity of it. Of it. Exactly. exactly. It's that he pulled yeah. the wrong part of a grenade and that's it for him. And you know? that yeah. he was a good soldier. Yeah. That was just a dumb mistake, a mistake. he made one day. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that he there's a previous shot where he's to make the pins release easier, he's uh, shaving them down. Shaving them, loosening them. Mm. I thought like, that I that was such a nice touch. I didn't notice yeah. that the last time. Um, I thought that that was really cool because it's like, yeah, he's, I'm being a better soldier. I'm making my a, a more refined equipment, and then it's the thing that kills him. Yeah, I got to say, in terms of biofeedback, that stabby scene uh, gets me harder like I, that scene is very, very difficult to watch. Whereas I it, think this scene is actually kind of it's, fun to yeah, watch. I, I shouldn't compare them necessarily as like one to one. Obviously there's, they're bringing two different things to the table, but I guess mm. it's just this, it's not like the classic, like, oh, we're all running through the jungle. And then one of us gets shot or blown by a you know grenade and they blast over. And that's the death that everyone gets mm. in war to give a personal kind of unique perspective yeah. of war is something i think a lot of almost every war filmmaker is, has is trying to, to do, do right it's what they're trying yeah. to do and i think malik's is unique in that it's a very malik moment and it's mundane you're absolutely right um but it is just on par with what i would say most like a spielberg or like a john ford would do um i really think that mm -hmm. what makes malik unique and i think uh adam kind of hit on it is that word rhythm i think he's obsessed with natural rhythms in this yeah uh, Absolutely. If you both seen Keanu Scottsy, right? Yeah. Of course. So for I'm people who don't know, Keanu Scottsy is just music. It's Philip Glass track. Doesn't oh, really matter, but it's a Keanu series of films. Keanu Scottsy is the first film. It's like this. Look at this. Look at these people going through subway. You know, like turnstiles and speed up the footage, and it's just this. Just, you know, millions and millions of people, it feels like, going through these turnstiles. And you see the motion of it. And then it cuts to sausages being made. And it's like, oh, they are <laughs> echoes I of each other. I see what other. you did there. Very I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. So that's the point. And it's just that. It's like it's like 45 hours of that. Uh, but <laughs> he'll just, the, in a way, Malik does this in kind of like a symbolic effort. Like he'll say like, hey, look at these crocodiles swim. And then he'll be like, look at these boys who are just like swimming. They're kind of the same motion. Look at these rocks. Now look at, oh, some of these rocks are crabs. 
look at this bird in a cage and it's puttering and making this thump thump sound. And then I'm going to focus on the heartbeat of a little girl uh, with the same thump thump sound. And it's just like, what are the purposes of that? And I think sometimes he nails it. And sometimes it's like, I'm not sure. Sometimes I think it's like, like there's one that was praised a lot uh, that I read online that was like, at the time, everyone was like, right after the attack, it cuts to this bird that's like wing has been clipped and it's like bleeding and it's trying to like get out of a nest yep. and it's just struggling. And I'm like, that's okay. So you told me, yeah, people are dying. And then you cut to, you know, like a bird that's dying. I, I get what you're saying. Um, but sometimes he fucking nails it. And I wanted I, to see which ones resonated with you guys. So, like, I have a clear favorite, but go Adam. I would so like. I think that Terrence Malick's a person who there's always a danger of seeing the the obvious connection between things, and it being dumb. Like occasionally that that is a Just problem. Broad with and his obvious. Work. Well, yeah. and that, yeah. that's because I think sometimes he doesn't see the broad and obvious thing. Like, uh, like I, like, um, there's a, there's a philosopher from antiquity called, uh, named Moses Maimonides who supposed if I, if I have the right guy that, uh, that all of, uh, life and reality is motion. Like life is motion, things in motion okay. fundamentally. And I feel like that definition actually might fit Terrence Malick's worldview. Like you'll yeah, notice that, that the spirituality of things is always wind in the trees or, or energy, yeah. Or the river, like the the glimmer on the water. This sort of idea that like kids swimming irrepressibly all yeah. day. Yeah. So like in a way, I think the connection that you made, Abe, is like yeah, you're totally right. That's very stupid and on the nose. And yet that might also not be what he's saying. He might also or yeah, what he's maybe trying he's saying to say. something else. Right. Yeah. And like and I, again, I don't always think that Terrence Malick is successful. Um, quite frankly, and I'll, I'll let you know, you I'm, know? I'm the most basic ass bitch in the world, man. Like I, like sometimes I'm like, that's a deep thought. And then other people look at me and go like, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. so Hi. to me, like, I think that as a filmmaker, sometimes even if that were true, you totally could be right. And I'm just miss, I'm reading his interpretation as like a, a very basic way, but he could actually intend that. That doesn't mean that he can't have these other complex thoughts. I think artists should be free to sometimes make the layup. There's you nothing know? wrong with a reminder about an important truth that's basic, but very true and very timeless and important. Right, so I'm not like, like dating him Quite frankly, yeah. uh, one of our favorite filmmakers, Spielberg, is a master of that. He's, He's master a master of simple, simple truths. Yeah. Oh, where he makes a movie you love so much, yeah. but if you boil it down, it's just like family and friends are good. And you're and like, so yeah, they that's sure really all like, that's about. They sure they fucking God are. damn, they are. They yeah. sure yeah. fucking are, E.T. You did it. <laughs> you knew what home. I meant, too. It you was E.T. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's so like, good at it. He really is. Did, were there any because now we're talking about the real good shit because yeah, we're talking can I about tell you motion my favorite and forms yeah tell me about like your favorites mine for sure is Caviezel looking at the because this whole time they've been grenading people in these hidey hole tunnels the Japanese soldiers and uh, you bear you really can't see them the first time like I think it's Woody Harrelson. Someone just rolls across and tosses a grenade in. Oh, also, incidentally, we don't shout out this skill enough, but even with this cast, obviously they're all accomplished actors, but I do think in this kind of tone poem way, uh, we can't, because we uh, it's so easy to talk about editing, lighting, camera, but Terrence Malick must be great at working with actors. He really gets... Great performances out of yes, everyone. Yeah, it's really uh, it's really impressive when you realize the guy doesn't really, at least allegedly, he doesn't even necessarily know what he's making. Like he's out there right. shooting That's kind of weird. like intuitively, like okay, let's get sure. this and let's get that and like we'll figure it out. So like, and I feel like you can kind of see that sometimes if you really look carefully. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, Mike. You wanted to say your thing. No, no, no. So they've been bombing the Japanese dudes, and he comes across a guy who's buried a dead guy who's buried but his yeah. just his face is uncovered and smoke drifts across it 
and a maneuver I did not think they would do that breaches the system that I assumed was there, and that's my favorite stuff, is the dead guy gets VO. You hear the dead man's thoughts, and it's Caviezel looking down at him, and the the thing I like is just the long static shot of the face as the smoke rolls across, and the dead soldier says... It compares very well to the moment in Synecdoche, New York, where he says, here we all, all of us temporarily alive, knowing we'll die eventually, but secretly a part of us believing that we won't. Um, And the soldier gives a similar speech. He says, are you, despite the horrible things you've had to do, do you think you're a kind, deep down, you love and you're kind hearted and you want to connect to others. Do you imagine that your sufferings will be less because you love goodness? So did I. (laughs) <laughs> you're like, yeah, ah, yeah. Fuck. He's like, do you, ah, I love the, are you loved? Just the yeah. basic, are you loved? And then can you, can you get it through your mind that I was loved too? That it's, is like the hook line sinker. Like f- that grabs me. Like I am all for anti-war films that mm-hmm. make that message. Just like, yeah, to the same copy paste to everyone. It's, it's so It's beautiful. also a really distressing shot that you hang on to. Yes. Like the person's yeah. been almost entirely buried. Which I think is another significant part of the metaphor. It looks surreal. Yeah, yeah, where it's just like, you know, this person's almost literally invisible now. Like almost buried by time already. Like almost it reminds completely me forgotten. Of you know? A Dan Carlin passage. There Dan Carlin Hardcore History does a phenomenal series on World War One with so many evocative images. Like a guy writes in his journal about watching a fly land on a bloated corpse and eat off it and then fly over to him and land on his coffee cup and you know splash around in his coffee and then he drinks the Mm -hmm. coffee and he Mm -hmm. thinks about that and uh shit like that but he talks about the indignity of random chance not respecting nature does not care about decorum at all and that can be shocking to remember because nature will seem to employ dark humor in a way that's insulting or offensive like they talk about being in the trench and someone who died was buried in such a way that there's just this arm sticking straight out of the wall of the trench and everyone like shakes it and high fives it as they go by back and forth dying and fighting for their lives and you're like that's so surreal and funny and stupid. And if you pitched it in a movie, you're like, there should be a random arm sticking out of the trench and they right. should shake the hand as they go by. You're like, the fuck are you Thank talking you. about? <laughs> but that happens in real life. Cause yeah, yeah that's just shit bouncing off. It's the each problem. Other. That, it's the problem of story <laughs> always having to reduce reality. Right. Like, like to sensible. Yeah. To make, to make <laughs> yeah. it sensible to us, we have to reduce it from what it is to the version we can accept. Uh, and I guess that's kind of what I like about Terrence Malick in general is that though he is, of course, reductionistic, as a lot of artists are, it's it's pretty hard to pin him down because he doesn't want to reduce that much. Like he kind of want to capture he's kind of wants to capture a pretty grandiose vision of reality. At least two hours and 50 minutes worth. Well, it's pretty yes. fucking long. I agree. <laughs> but like but even if it wasn't so long, right? Like even if he mm-hmm. didn't make the movie with the dinosaurs that were that were shaking hands and shit, what was he it? has a wide lens as a storyteller. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. He's got a yeah, and he doesn't want to. He's not here to sort of like prescribe reality or sort of like give you his codified microwaved uh, point of view or to preach at you. I think he's really curious as a filmmaker. Like he he yeah. really wants to get to the bottom of the thing. You know? I think that makes him pretty unique Agreed. a lot of filmmakers don't walk in instinct like shooting from the hip uh and he does although his sentiments like if we want to talk about like how he approaches the meditative like the meditative approach of film how he wa- wants you to feel and how often he may- wants you to feel those kinds of tactics I have kind of a a little spicy take people might disagree I think one of the one of his companions one of the directors that's most like malik or rather you know malik is most like is uh miyazaki okay i can accept that i think that i'm in enough for you to say more (laughs) go on well so there's something that he uh it's about that tone poem aspect right think about spirited away or even Princess Mononoke or something like that, where it's like there is a point, and I think that Miyazaki definitely makes more traditional, slightly more films. plot than yeah. even Malick. Yeah, but 
there's a purpose to every like when he treats nature or in this in the case of malik like motion or energy or whatever we're calling it it's always this like backbone to the movie it is the unchanging truth uh and then everything else that happens around it is people always coming back to that 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 spinal cord of life which is that you know nature is going to be nature and you can't really fuck you fuck with it and it claps back you're never really going to beat it um and i think that they share that vision and they also share like there's literally what i would call a miyazaki shot in this which is right before the attack like explodes and everything just goes nuts there's that shot of the hills that the cloud moves out of the way of the sun and it like mm-hmm. turned it turns from shade to sunlight and it's like Man. quite beautiful shot and i think miyazaki does the same shot for the same reason anyway that's just my mm, thought my, oh yeah i'm thinking of some studio ghibli shots where i'm like yeah that is malachy that moment yeah mm-hmm. i see it now go ahead my Adam. spicy take is i don't like his writing i don't like terrence malick's writing after like i i i uh <laughs> I think we all get one spice. I think the sentimentality <laughs> of his like tone poem stuff. They're like, you know, what's the difference between you and me? The words we shared, the beds we, make this the beds we high fived or whatever. It's I just yeah. hate it. I hate it. Um, if like it's it's yeah. It's, Who are you to live in all these many? Forms? It's all antithetical. That I wrote down. Yeah, to me, it's like all. It's very Civil War letter. Yeah. Well, but it's not Civil War letter because Civil War letter has like such a rigid structural meditative quality that is so grounded in reality that it feels great whereas like this feels very much like college freshmen thinking of anything they can that means something you know yeah i don't like feel like someone trying to write dead yes or something it does and i think i think it it goes to why we're so interested in narrative storytelling as opposed to tone poems because you don't see very many it's because in a way seeing these kind of sentiments play out in a in a story or a, in a human experience instead of being voiced directly is a more palatable experience of it because the tone poem stuff feels reductive and sentimental um at least to me mm-hmm. it does and i'm sure there's going to be somebody out there who's like this is my favorite fucking writing far it's be it from me pretty... to reduce it for you i just don't care it... for it I think I'm with you, Adam, because I do think it's overwrought. Or sometimes I find myself laughing or taken taken out of the movie because they're they're so you know that thing. Uh, and I can't tell if that's me reading and being like, ah, this makes me uncomfortable because I'm nah, uh, it's forced there. As, or it's yeah, it's it's there. I uh, made the identical note several times. I think a great example is. Uh, this great evil, where does it come from? How did it steal into the world? What seed did it grow from? Exactly. Who's doing this? Yeah. Who's That's killing us? That's like the us? beginning of the movie. Who's killing um, us? Mock, yeah, and it's like, um, I do prefer... So, I bounce back and forth over my life, and I do think, like, as listeners of this network know, I like Harlan Ellison, and he can be accused of, like, you didn't need that many adjectives. That could have been edited. So, I think there's arguments for being prolix or verbose at certain points for effect um but i do find that uh malik tends to say the same thing in different words over and over in clauses where you're like you should have picked one of those like where does it come from what seed did it grow from who's doing this is like that's um, three it's like you're pitching three lines in a row yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I definitely got that feeling as well. But, yeah, um, it's also... But his picture, it doesn't mean it takes away from the, like... I think, uh, Adam, would you agree it doesn't really distract from your enjoyment of the movie itself, though? Like, you still like Nothing movie, could yeah? ever subtract from a Terrence Malick image. The man is right. a master of naturalistic photography. He's so good mm-hmm. at it. It's actually that the words feel like they're poor reductions of the image that he captures. You know what I mean? Like, right. and I I know that this has become like a theme for me, especially on the multi curse thing. So I don't want to say it over and over, but I really feel like the spiritualism of this of his filmmaking, um, th- his poetry doesn't do it. You know, uh, it just doesn't do it. But I think his storytelling does do it. Um, his this kind of sounds dumb, does. but I 
I'd be interested in watching a cut of this with the VO just taken out. I wonder if it would be a radically different experience. I don't know if we would well, understand what exactly what was happening with the guy and his right. wife in particular. Maybe well, we yeah, would. I don't know. That's true. I'm for most parts they they act like guardrails because like um, the Nick Nolte character barking orders that becomes thoroughly uninteresting unless you have this first scene, which is him seeing like. Like I've been passed over. So uh, the closer you are to Caesar, the greater the fear, you know, he has all these thoughts about like John Travolta essentially just being like, Hey man, don't worry. You're just always going to be second best and it's fine. We need people like you. And he's complaining about how he's passed up all the time. And like that doesn't justify anything, but it peppers this little bit of story his in his introspection into that where it's like how has he dealt with that trauma and how how that might explain why he's slamming all of the soldiers so hard now and being like i'm gonna be i'm not a politician i'm not a company man you know like all the things that john travolta said i'm better than that uh you wouldn't get that context right by the way i think this is and then george clooney at the very end Sorry, just because you mentioned no, no, Travolta. I, I, I think yeah. this is my favorite John Travolta performance, period. I just want to put that out really? there. Really? I fucking well, love him in this. I, I love this him in is This is absolutely my favorite Nick Nolte performance, period. Yeah, uh, he's Nick great. Nolte and like Mother Night. I have uh, historically <laughs> thought that Nick Nolte is coasting on the fact that his face is interesting, his voice is very low and gravelly, oh, no. but that he's a pretty stiff, uninspired actor. This movie actually changed... I'm like, oh, he's very talented. He's very good. I did not know that. Some of the subtle acting stuff he does is phenomenal in this. And yeah. I, again, have to be like, there must be a, something about the collaboration with Malik that also gets the best out of these folks because everyone's killing it. Nick Nolte was in a movie called Life Lessons. It's a short film by Scorsese. Uh, that I at least think is like, oh, this is why Nolte is a thing. Uh, it, mm. It's great. It's about an artist who, <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't say great because some people are going to watch and be like, dude, this is awful. It's about an artist who's completely right. using his assistant to create conflict so that he can do his art. Like he, like he thinks mm. he's in love with her, but he's not in love with her. He just needs there to be sexual tension so he can make his art, basically. Right. He's a drama queen. Exactly. And he's like completely abusing his power and stuff, and it's not good. But it's an interesting story. So, just, yeah. yeah. Anyway, great acting. In yeah. It. Nick Dolte definitely, I mean, because he had like 48 hours and stuff like that. Like he had a career that was that, but he also did do stuff like Cape Fear. You know, like so, mm -hmm. like he, he has to kinds of it's like Speeds. judging Jake Gyllenhaal on the, the Marvel films that he's been <laughs> sure. in. You seen Affliction? Um, he kills an Affliction. Seen yeah, he kills. Fear, and I thought yeah. he was like blocky is the way I would say it. Like he makes big simple acting choices, but in this I saw lots of subtlety Interesting. which I thought was Maybe because he was now, weak here in a way that he doesn't get to be in a lot of his films. Like he's hard-boiled in so many of his films, you know. Right, yeah. I mean, it's his voice. I mean, yeah. he's so old yeah. and he has been old so for old. He's been that mugshot <laughs> for 50 years. Yeah, <laughs> so like he, he's his first word was, now. Mama, Papa, Papa. <laughs> Give me that milk. Can I have the milk, finally? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you've seen Warrior, dude, I fucking, his, his yeah. the range in Warrior Tra is insane. Travolta's fucking joy at being the general and Nolte not being the general is yeah. fucking delectable, man. Like <laughs> it's like he's it's wonderful. <laughs> like he almost is dancing. He's having such a good time. You don't know it. what it it's feels like, like he, to be overlooked is his big line. Yeah. Every sentence that he says in this movie, it's like right before he just took the best dump of his life. <laughs> <laughs> Travolta. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, because he's that's just how like, he can do that <sighs> disco dance, man. He runs light. Yeah, he's running yeah, yeah, light, yeah. Dude. He's he's he is pre like streamlined it's intestinally. Like, I feel ten pounds lighter. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Now march <laughs> to your deaths on my behalf. <laughs> I want that uh, island, Mister Nolte. And I can shall I do have my it. spicy take? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, last yeah, major yeah. thought I have. Yeah. And I would love to compare notes on this um, because my main gripe against the film and why I land on the side of, I mean, because I'm a structuralist, I like straight, or I like big budget. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like Spielberg. That's part of the reason I There's do what power I do. And form. So yeah. I do think Saving Private Ryan outshines this movie for one simple reason, primarily for me. Um, 
when you combine the specifically the rhythm, I like the rhythm came up a lot, but I would also call it the pacing, which is related, of course, and the wall to wall poignant music. So music is a tool that lets us know and sometimes makes us feel the emotion the director wants us to pair with the moment. Mm -hmm. And I prefer a judicious use of that and dynamics. So some silence, some... All I'll say is this felt like a series of postcards back to back to back to back, and each individual postcard employed the exact same method. This amount of music, this kind of pacing, this exact tone... I feel that the movie feels samey across the book. Like I always basically feel right. the same and I really like dynamics and I don't think it has, I don't Especially think Malik generally has a lot of dynamics for a three hour film. It definitely does get samey. I, I think that a one hour film by him would be samey would be what yeah, it like, is. I, like, I think that's <laughs> yeah. like, I, for instance, I like tree of life is my favorite movie. I'll never watch again. You know, like, um, right. because I really like the sentiment of it and I enjoy the challenge of his movies. His mm. movies really challenge you to not, to be an active, thoughtful watcher um, and to like meditate oh, on yeah. stuff. If you were tired or feeling lazy, you would get nothing at it. Like, you got to focus. Yeah. And, and yeah. like, I, I, I appreciate that as a filmmaker, like, that it's a unique approach and that I am inspired by his work to do it. But I, but again, the thing that you want out of narrative is the uh, roller coaster of it. And uh, I don't know how Mar Malik would ever do a roller coaster. And I've seen Badlands, and I don't think that movie quite does it either. Um, like, I just don't think that's who he is. I think he's a little bit more of like, like his movies are like a sailboat sort of careening slowly into the shore, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, and that's fine. It's got a certain, it's a certain type of boat. It, it, it has a certain speed. It kind of... It moves in a certain way. In a lot of ways, uh, every filmmaker is that you can argue that even Spielberg has his tendencies in terms of like his start go. It needs to be this boring for this long and then it needs to be this exciting for this long and then, you know, rinse, repeat. I think that's 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 filmmakers deciding exactly how who they are. You know, it's what their preference is. I think I have my preferences. And I think, and I totally respect uh, Terrence Malick's, but at the same time can totally agree with uh, Mike in saying that it, it gets a little samey to the point that by the end, I'm like, wrap, wrap, wrap it, it up, up baby. Well, but it's also three <laughs> hours. And like, quite frankly, Saving Private Ryan any, is yeah. also long at three hours, but not this long. Mm -hmm. uh, not this. You know, like any three hour movie is like, what are we doing, bro? You know what I mean? Like, I'll kill a Dude, lot of sacred I, cows. Speaking of Saving Private Ryan, any three hour movie, my stance is earn this. Yeah, earn like, this. Earn you're it. going yeah. in with a deficit. Exactly. Yeah. Earn this. And they rarely <laughs> do. Let's be honest. I'm looking at you, Cloud Atlas. I'm looking at you, Dark Knight. Like, Dark Knight's yeah. like two hours Ooh, and 40 minutes. That's a spicy take. Like, I'm bro. looking at yeah. you, that previously mentioned amateur porn that someone sent us. So <laughs> long. Us Did it have to money. be that long? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't come up with enough oh, yeah. arrangements. So, <laughs> I want to kind of get back because it's kind of on topic of what we're saying right now. I want to get mm -hmm. on topic of what Andrew, uh, or Pick the Flicker, uh, what he was saying because it started off this podcast, which is Saving Private Ryan versus uh, uh, Thin th Thin Red Line. I think what he's saying, and you know, Andrew, speak up in the comments or just email us, because um, I can see how someone would say it's obvious. Because this is a little bit like looking at the undercurrent of like, let's look at what the soldiers are doing. Let's mm -hmm. look at let look at them less as band of brothers and more of individuals versus Saving Private Ryan, which is about a company. It's about a few individuals, but it's really about like the this little, machinations this little and politics and yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. And how that how it like the push and pull and like Tom Hanks character is entirely about keeping them together. Point is. I think that there can be an argument to be said that in a, a Spielbergian way, Saving Private Ryan is a little bit more propagandist about its approach. This movie does take, which I think is the correct take, that war is terrible for everybody. It's not that Spielberg doesn't say that. It's not that I would say that Saving Private Ryan is by all means uh, anti-war film. But I do think that like he does glorify the uh the kind of um sacrifice that soldiers make uh quite a bit um and malik does not really 
Like, look at the way in which, you know, uh, Wit died. We still have a kind of disagreement about exactly what that meant. So I think that a lot of people will say Thin Red Line versus uh, Saving Private Ryan. I could see why someone... Yeah, yeah. but I'm also in... I want to be a filmmaker, so I also you know check all the columns of craftsmanship and shit, and I don't think you can overstate how much the storming the beaches at Normandy Saving Private Ryan scene elevated the craft of how a war scene is shot. Mm -hmm. Like, blew everyone away in the industry. I think it's hard to... It's hard to overstate how incredible the sweeping over the hills bombing shots are for this movie they are this fucking movie, amazing like they're this movie has goes full apocalypse yeah now. and it's like wow it looks so good and it's still somehow in tone with what he's doing um but it's not the it's not storming the beach at normandy because that is one of those rare moments in cinema where cinema leveled up like that is like oh mm-hmm. we all leveled up because of this movie yeah um, it it moves the the camera is now something that is like alive and breathing. It does feel very much like if you compare the war shots of these two films, you really do feel like Malik is in a world where it's just like okay, there's the thing across the way that we need to shoot. Here's the camera. Put the camera. Shoot the thing, and that's all the thought that went into it. It's like capture the event. And it's like Spielberg is over here saying, all right, we're going to go in up the up, up the ass of the event. And then we're going to twist around and just like cup the balls, baby. And it's just doing all these moves that are like, OK, now we're really inside seeing all the Spielberg's things. ambition um, was to bring to life a thing that had been impossible for films to bring to life, to like deliver right. an experience of like, what if you were there during D-Day? A thing that movies really mm-hmm. couldn't seriously do. Before his before which that is, movie, which is amazing, I'll never forget which it. Which is blockbuster, yeah. you know. You're into it or you're not, you know. I'll so, never forget uh, it. I was there with a soldier. I didn't come with a soldier. He was in the theater with me, and he had to leave. Mm-hmm. And it was like fuck me, you know. Uh, it, it 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 was unforgettable. Like just, and Thin Red Line isn't that. Uh, Thin Red Line is is a really well made tone poem with some gorgeous war shots that are well constructed. But it's. That is interesting to me because I would argue also that the goal of, if there is any goal, the goal of Thin Red Line is to connect on a personal level to soldiers, to make soldiers and by extension everyone um, think about like what what their part in the you know big you know carousel that's playing. Uh, in the sky, like what? What's, what are? What's, my, what's their what role horsey in there? do I ride in the great carousel? What horsey do you ride? Yeah, it's I just like uh, so. It's a it's attempt to connect is somehow less associative than uh, like Spielberg's ability, of, like and tactics of camera and motion and dolly move to make you feel something. Kind of makes you want, ask the question. Sometimes is artifice better than better at evoking emotion than reality? When it can um, do what d- the D Day stuff, then yes. You know what I mean? Like when, when you, you can when you, uh, when you can deliver that, <laughs> then yeah. Uh, usually no, uh, but but with rare exceptions like that, uh, I would say yeah. yeah you know, um, and we had a few around I, that time. I think the Matrix is a similar thing, where some of the artifice that mm. was created there felt like uh again like film leveled up like new ideas about how things could be made and and look Mm -hmm. uh were created new experiences um and that's really exciting but that's a whole other podcast well can i say one other thing i'm so fucking sad that uh that this thin red line narrator thing that we did it here and i could never use it as my bit on the Multicurse podcast. <laughs> it was such a good bit. Nothing stops just, you from doing that. I'm That's still in bounds that is, for the record. Yeah. That is a fucking wonderful bit. <laughs> like, it is such a good bit. No, no. Save it for the Matrix. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which people will soon know what I mean. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, no, but I'm... Uh, yeah, well, well, we'll work it out off mic. Okay. Bef- at the risk of divulging too much, I think it's time to wrap it up. Especially good one. I love talking about movies with you guys. Same really wall to wall insight. Uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. 
Uh, thank you to Adam, our very special Thanks guest. For Not me. always able to have you on frame rate. Well, yeah. you know, everyone who listens to Small Beans regularly understands why you were a great fit for this. Uh, thank you to Andrew and all of our flick pickers. Again, that's patreon.com slash small beans if you want to pick the flick or check out all the extra podcasts behind the paywall, like special exclusive episodes of I'll Show You Mine If You Show Me Yours with Adam and Maggie Mae Fish, uh, as well as. Star Trek, the next Futurama, Spielboys. Director piece isn't behind the paywall. I think no, that's but the paywall Escape one. Escape from the Multicurse, Escape our from newest Multicurse. show, with the three people that you listen to during this podcast. It's also more very good, and that's behind the paywall. So you probably want to head over there, huh? It's yeah. definitely a big, it's a big jokey podcast. We yeah, do a lot yeah, of jokes. jokes. And you get in for like three bucks a month month not week just month. think about yeah. all month. the no big whoop. all the esoteric really helps us musings out. that i might do for this bit <laughs> like i might do sure. forever uh and you'll only hear it behind the paywall <laughs> um and of course thanks to all the big beans who do uh pitch in helps keep the lights on i'm that's out i'm petering off <laughs> yeah uh, i think you nailed it dude great, i think you covered great. it all oh thanks uh, yeah so uh, I guess I guess we out, man. Where's your I guess Where's your out. spark now, Ib? <laughs> I will kill you. I see you <laughs> This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at Patreon.com/smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash small beans where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!